just piano and have some of that just rub off onto me somehow. What amazing, amazing, amazing this morning. I so appreciate the, the people that God has sent here and the ministry that you folks have. Uh, I don't know if you realize what you have. This, this is amazing. I've uh, told people there are probably three churches in my life that I have to get to at least once a year. I, just, I have to come. And uh, whether you invite me to speak or not, I'm going to have to come. And uh, this is one of them. Alfred Allman Bible Church is just so dear to our hearts. Uh, when you folks tell us that you pray for us, I believe it's really true. Uh, I get emails and I get confirmation that you folks love us. And, and I can tell, I see it on your faces. Uh, and every missionary, every pastor needs people like that. Uh, just to know that you're there and you're behind us and that you're encouraging us. I did meet Chris and Karen uh, quite a long time ago. I don't even want to say what year. I, I don't really remember. I just know they've been in my life a long time. And I so appreciate you folks, uh, the ministry that is happening here. Uh, thank you so much for praying for us. Uh, we, are, we are so indebted to you. Uh, we are so appreciative. I, my heart is so full. There's so many things I want to do with the rest of my life. And I know that I'm, I can only accomplish them because you folks help us. You partner with us. Uh, and we just, we praise God for you. Let's, uh, let's pray that what a, what a ministry. I've, I've just got to let my heart settle down a little bit so I can start preaching. Uh, thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we're so grateful. You have just showered us with so many blessings. Uh, even the songs that we have sung this morning just bring us to tears. They, they remind us of how great a God you are, how powerful you are. Uh, this last song is one of my favorite in all the world, the, the Revelation. Just uh, to think about the day that you will come and reveal yourself uh, to the whole world. And the whole world will know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Every eye shall see you. I believe that the second coming will be a slow procession. That when the clouds open up and you come on a white horse... There will just be every eye that will be turned to you. Some of, some of that will not be good on their part as they will want to attack you. And it's just so good to know that you will come and set things straight. That you will reign victorious. You will just speak a word and the nations will be destroyed. Father, it's so good to know that those of us that will be raptured, we will be with you. We will be on the victory side. Father, there are so many that do not understand what is going to unfold. And we pray for the salvation of those that are lost. Father, those that are in this community that don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that their eyes would be open, that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and penetrate their hearts. We know that salvation is your work. It's a work of God. And we pray that it would happen for those that we know, our neighbors, our friends, people that we run into contact with that still don't have a clue. We pray that their eyes would be opened and that they would come to know you like we know you. Thank you, dear God, that you uh, want to meet with us this morning and talk to our hearts. We pray that you would... Help us to sort through all the distractions and that for the next half hour you would just really focus in on what you want us to do and what you want us to know. We're here to meet with you. We love you and we're so thankful for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So appreciative of Brian Scheffler this morning. I, I don't know where he is uh, in this auditorium, but... Uh, what a great Sunday school class this morning, ABF. It, uh, great, great, great thoughts. And uh, If you had the opportunity to hear that, uh, I like the way you think, Brian, and the processes that you took us through this morning. What a blessing, and uh, thank you. That, that will impact me. 
And um, we're so grateful to be here. I'm, if you would open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to be there for just a little bit. And uh, a little bit more of a topical message this morning, but Second Peter chapter 1. And before I forget, I hope you do get a chance sometime this morning to meet, to greet my wife. Uh, she is here with me. I love it when she can come and travel with me. Uh, she is my uh, chauffeur. She drives me when I'm usually exhausted. Uh, she has a better ability to stay awake on the road, so that's a good thing that one of us can. And I'm glad she's here with me. She is definitely my life partner. In Second Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And as I, we won't actually dwell here in this passage. Actually, I would love to come another time and preach on that passage where Peter talks about um, great and precious promises. And that is what I would like to talk about today. What he goes on to say is he talks about things that needed to be added to our life, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. We could speak on every one of those things a whole message. And um, that's what I would love to spend more time another time talking to you about, because it's so interesting that Peter, earlier in this chapter, he says, according to his divine power, hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. It's interesting that he says, God has given us all those things. And then he goes on to say, but you need to add these things to your life. And it almost sounds like a contradiction because if he's given us all things, why do we need to add those things? And that's a whole other message in itself. That, that's actually a, um, probably a month of messages. Incredible, incredible passage. I'd actually like to back up this morning and just talk about the great and precious promises. I'd like to kind of park right there. Peter says whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And I want you to know, when times are difficult, it is those great and precious promises that, that we really hang on to and that we need to. We need to believe them. We need to understand them. We need to grab them. And we need to really live understanding more about God as we look at those promises. There's a lot of promises that I could share with you this morning. I'd like to just cover four. Uh, as a missionary, as a former pastor, uh, and now as a believer that's known God for some, I guess, 40 years, uh, I just have to tell you that it is, it is these promises that are helping us today make it through life. And I think sometimes we, we know them and we hear about them, but when is the last time we really studied them? There's a lot of them. I'm just going to cover four. Well, I'm hoping we can cover four this morning. Let's just take a look at four. And uh, adversity comes to every single believer, I believe. It doesn't always come the moment we're saved. Sometimes it's years later. Adversity comes to every believer. 
Sooner or later, every believer is going to face a crisis. Sometimes it comes and you face it with victory, don't you? you? You get through it and you just thank God and you know it's because of his presence. It's not because it's all about you. But God helps you through it and it's, and it's a short uh, crisis. Sometimes it comes and it nearly crushes you. Uh, it hits you harder than you might have expected. Adversity could be like that. When... It does. You ask yourself, do I really believe everything I have heard about God? I, I run into young people like that. They, they For the most part, uh, their struggles are short-lived, but every once in a while I run into a teen who's going through a, an unbelievable crisis. And the teen comes to me and they say, is everything true that we have been told? Uh, a pastor falls in sin. And young people come to me from that church and they want to know, okay, so do we, do we just throw everything out? Uh, and we tell them, no, we don't. Because we do believe and we hang on to these promises and we do trust God. As adults, we face it and we ask those questions, but sometimes we don't tell anyone. Isn't that true? Have you ever, have you ever questioned things in your own mind and, and, if the truth were known, you probably have had doubts, you have had fears, or you just don't want anybody to know about it. And uh, we face it questions, but we don't tell anyone. Students are honest. They usually do. They're, they're more honest than we are. They ask those questions constantly, and we better help them with the answers, because that's our job. Second Peter chapter 1 says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which uh, have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. What is a promise? Um, I've, I've uh, thought about how I would define that. I think a promise is the assurance God gives his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. Uh, the assurance God gives his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. The year was 1988. I was on the St. Lawrence River with a boat full of students. I Listening to some of Brian's stories reminded me of this one. There were probably 10 or 12 students in that boat. It was my parents' boat. We took them up to the St. Lawrence to my parents' cottage. And uh, this one particular day when we uh, left our little cove and went out onto the St. Lawrence River, we headed down to Alexander Bay, and it had started out a fairly nice day. We were near the bay, actually about five minutes from home. It was a weekend, and usually the waves are, are worse on the weekend because all the boats out there churning it up. And the St. Lawrence River is a, a stretch of, of water that's narrow compared to the open body of water before it and what follows it. And so we headed down to Alexander Bay, and behind us, a storm was coming. We really, really hadn't paid much attention to it because we were headed toward Alex Bay. And, uh, but this storm was coming, and at some point I noticed that I saw some clouds, and I thought, well, the only way to, to uh, there was no way to avoid it unless we kept going to the ocean. And I knew at some point it was going to have to turn around and head back into that, what looked like a storm coming. But I thought, well, maybe it'll veer off one way or the other. So we, we you know, stayed around the bay a little bit. Well, besides the fact that the storm was coming, the, the St. Lawrence River is long, and so the, the wind can really pick up. And it literally uh, often blows from west to east, and so it goes the length of the river, and there's not much to stop it. Uh, and then on, a number of things happened at the same time. A tugboat had gone by us, and tugboats just pulled these enormous swells behind them. And uh, so the wind was picking up, a lot of boats were out, and it was churning up the water, the storm is coming. And, and we're, we're in a 21-foot boat, inboard, outboard, 140 horsepower. I mean, it, it could handle 12 students, no problem. And I was not a novice. I, I've been out on the water really quite a lot, although... Um, I'm not really fond of bad storms. <laughs> and uh, I remember at one point the kids were just having a blast because the swells were, were far enough apart. They were, they were quite far, although they were pretty deep. And so it was just like a roller coaster. I mean, the kids were just having a ball. I knew at some point it was going to probably get uglier. 
And uh, so I, it's, at some point I told him, I said, you know, I think you ought to all put your life jackets on. And uh, at that point, they, were, they really didn't know whether I, I kid a lot, so I think they thought I was kidding. And I looked at them, and they looked at me, and they thought, oh, he's not kidding. And so they started putting their life jackets on, and, uh, and it continued to get worse. And, and the hardest thing about being, I mean, the, the swells were so bad that the front of our boat, even though it was 21 feet, uh, was starting to dip into the waves before it would come back up. You know, water was hitting the windshield, going up over the boat. And at this point, I'm scared. I mean, I'm really uh, not laughing anymore, and I'm, I'm praying. And I'm, I had been praying uh, quite a few swells, uh, asking God to just help us turn around. I, I was just wondering how we were going to turn the boat because if you don't turn very carefully, you're, you're going to be capsized. So I told the kids and, you know, to kind of get lower in the boat than they were, you know, like standing and sitting on the sides uh, wasn't working anymore. So I told them to, to get down lower. And, um, and I, was, I was praying, and I think probably all 12 students started praying too. And we finally, at, at just the right moment, made the turn, was able to get turned around enough so that we were facing the, the waves. Um, that was fun, too, and because uh, now we were dipping into them. And, and uh, so we were able, though, to head back to our cottage where we have a nice little cove and a boathouse and a place that's much safer than out in Alexander Bay. Uh, we did make it back. Uh, it did rain some, but it was mostly wind. And um, I remember thanking God that he helped us to get back. I, I really didn't want uh, my wife to read in the paper how a youth pastor and 12 students got found on the rocks somewhere. And uh, she was actually back at the cottage and um, wasn't out with us on that particular trip. But um, it was a crisis. It, it, uh, it took me back just a little bit. I had never been out on the water quite so dangerous as that. Another year, another time, in fact, it was 1977. I had just gotten back with my wonderful bride from our honeymoon. We pulled into Wilson Hospital where my dad was dying from cancer. We come back a day early because I just, I just sensed that God wanted us to come back. Um, we had, you know, I know you don't do this on your honeymoon, but my dad had been very sick, so we, we called back every couple of days just to see how he was. And uh, about, uh, I think it was Saturday, I just sensed that something wasn't good, and so we, we packed up that morning. We were in Virginia Beach. We packed up. We headed home, drove right straight back, went right to the hospital to get there before closing time. And when we walked in the hospital, uh, my mom... Uh, looked at us just like with a sigh of relief, and we're you know we have we, we asked her what's wrong, what's what's happening, and and she said, well, your dad has taken a turn for the worse, and basically for the last 24 hours he's been in a coma, and so we you know rushed into the room, and my dad actually woke up from the coma, and shook my hand, kissed my wife, my bride, we just got married this Saturday before, week before, and um, he was just so happy to see us. My mom told me later, she said he had actually been in a coma, had kind of slipped in and out all day, but had not been out very long at all, didn't talk, and she said we knew it was, you know, at the end. I was so thankful that God prompted us to go home because we were able to see him one more time. Shook our hand. He went into a coma, passed away the next day on Father's Day. And it was probably the second biggest crisis in my life. Uh, we had a family business. Um, it, um, I, I just thought the world of my dad. He, I watched him. Uh, he was a man of integrity. I, I never felt that there was any compromise. All the years that I watched him, I, I was 19 when he passed away. In 19 years, I never saw him do anything that lacked integrity. That's hard to say of parents, because we all make mistakes. Uh, but I never once saw him dishonest with a customer. Uh, he was always truthful, always honest. And I think he gave me a great heritage, a great example to follow. For me, it was a crisis. It was adversity. I, I was a believer. 
but it was hard to know. But I knew I had to trust God. I could go on and tell you of a number of crises that Jamie and I have faced in our life. And when Peter talks about exceeding great and precious promises, he's not kidding, he's not fooling. We need to grab them, we need to hang on to them. Can I give you the first promise that I would ask you to really love and cherish? And it is this promise, is that God is always with me. He is always with me. Uh, I could have us all repeat it. God is always with me. There isn't anything that you could face that God would not be with you in. He's always with me. That is a great and precious promise. God's word is always the answer. His promises are always true. It was a Friday morning, and I was standing in our front window. Jamie probably remembers the story. I was up on our second floor looking out the front window, and snow was coming down. And I tell you, I'm from Buffalo, so you would think, well, big deal. You know, it, it does snow in Buffalo. That's not unusual. The only crisis that involved this day was that it was the day of our Super Bowl. Um, it was a November Friday night, and the snow was coming down really, really heavy. Uh, they had been forecasting the, the last 48 hours that we were going to get a nor'easter, and it came. And I was standing in our bedroom window. It was a Friday morning. We had to cancel the event. Could you imagine canceling a Super Bowl? Uh, at that particular time, we were using the Buffalo Sabres, and I would guess we probably had around 2,800 coming. I knew we had 100 churches because we had to call them that Friday. 100 churches. Imagine trying to get a hold of churches, pastors, youth directors, uh, some of whom worked during the day. So my wife started, or one of us started at the top of the list, and the other started at the bottom of the list. We knew when we called a church that already knew that we had got to the middle. And so we started calling to let these churches know that we had to cancel the Super Bowl. Uh, what a crisis. I, I'll never forget looking out the window. My wife will tell you, I just stared out the window before we started making phone calls, and, I, and I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this. I can't believe this is happening. Here was an event that came together so well. So many of the events, there's so much adversity, and there's just so many trials trying to put it together. And this particular year, my wife would tell you, that event went together so perfectly. I mean, we had like no trouble, no adversity, all the way through putting the whole thing together. Everything fall in place, every vendor, every call we had to make, and they were like, yeah, that works, you know. And until the morning of the day, we got a nor'easter, and we have to cancel the whole thing. And, and I remember looking out the window saying, God, why? why? I, I just don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. We do this for you. Uh, it is not for us. We, we want to see kids saved. We, we want to help churches. And I remember looking out the window just going, doesn't make sense. It was a crisis. I don't, I'll share more about that at the end. I don't know what in this particular point in your life you might be going through, but every believer goes through adversity. Every believer faces a crisis. Sometimes, uh, like Job, we look at people and we think, well, I wonder what they did. And it is sometimes because of sin that we face a crisis. That's not out of the question. But I do want to encourage you and help you that it's not always because of sin. There are times when, when God is just doing a work and he's going to do that work through that crisis. Uh, and we learn better through that than anything else. Uh, sometimes it's just because every believer goes through adversity. And we, we have to prepare for that. This first promise, God is always with us. He's always with us. He, he doesn't disappear when, when the trouble comes. Um, whether you're a pastor or a missionary or you're a housewife or you work in a factory, the same promise is true. God is always with you. He's always there. 
Uh, don't think for a minute, don't let Satan trick you to, to make you think that God has abandoned you or walked out on you or that he's just not present. We know he's present because he's omnipresent. It's one of the attributes of God. There isn't any place you can go that God isn't there. He's always there. God's promises are great because of his character and his integrity. They are great because our God is great. Psalm 145 verse 3 says his greatness is unsearchable. I remember the year that we were studying the greatness of God and one of the new clubs had asked me to come and kind of give him an overview of the whole year. And I went there and I said, well, all year long we're going to be studying the greatness of God. In fact, that's our curriculum next year. But I, I remember this, and, and uh, we're going to be studying the greatness of God. And in fact, I took him to this verse where it says that his greatness is unsearchable. And as students often wonder, well, if it's unsearchable, why are we studying it a whole year? And I said, well, you've got to understand the verse. When it says it's unsearchable, it means you will never exhaust it. You will never exhaust his greatness. Pastor John and I could could study the greatness of God for the rest of our lives. We could just keep pouring through the scriptures and we can study his greatness and we can keep looking. And I want to tell you, we will never run out of material. We could study it forever. We will never finish the subject. He is so great. And uh, I'm glad for the promise that he's always with us because that means that it is a great God who is always with me. When my dad was dying of cancer, I remember stopping at the hospital one day during the day because I just wanted to talk to him alone. At night, there was always one of the family there. And, and uh, so I stopped in one day and I said, Dad, I, I said, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you and your, your advice and your counsel. And I said, as a son, I haven't always listened. But I said, I, I just want to make amends and I want you to know that I, I just... I'm so glad that God made you my dad and, and made me a son under your authority. And I'll never forget my dad looking at me, and this was before we got married and before, the, before that horrible week when he passed away. And he looked at me and he said, Rod, I just want you to know you're doing the right things and you're doing a good work. And he just wanted me to know that he was proud of me. At that particular point in my life, I was uh, somewhere between 18 and 19. It was before we got married, and we were, I was teaching a junior high Sunday school class. Back when I was a senior in high school, the church came and asked me, would I teach the junior high Sunday school class? And I was, like, blown away. I thought, are you serious? Uh, I, I, I just I dreamed about doing something like that. Uh, and then we were also leading at that particular time was a boys brigade group that we had in our church. And I was teaching them every Monday night. And we had the largest boys brigade group in New York State, 80-some uh, uh, 7th to 12th graders in our little white church in Conklin, New York. Uh, Pioneer Girls and all the other programs, that was on top of that. The children's, uh, the boys' stockade. Um, it was an incredible ministry. And we were teaching the boys every Monday night and, and um, then teaching junior high Sunday school class every Sunday. Uh, I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, I was an usher in the church. They, they let us young men be ushers in the evening. And um, every time the pastor came to me, I was like, he would have something for me to do and I, I just couldn't get enough. It was like I wanted to be, I just wanted to do everything in the church. And what a, what a great, great, great God we have to serve. What my dad said to me reminded me of something that I read that Paul wrote to Timothy. And when I read what Paul wrote to Timothy, it just made me think of what my dad said to me. Paul said to Timothy one day, he says, You have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. He said you he started out the very first two things. He says, You've known my doctrine and you've known my life. And I thought, okay, that's cool. Because my doctrine is what I teach. My life is how I live. And what made Paul such a powerful minister is that what he taught and how he lived, you could marry the two and, and they came together perfectly. 
he wasn't one thing in the pulpit and something else in private. And what Paul said to Timothy is, well, made me think of my dad. He said, yea, and all that will live godly in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I, uh, I believe that too. All of us at some point in life are going to face a crisis. Verse 13, in what Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, But evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, if you read any newspaper, watch any news, or any television, you know that what Paul said to Timothy is being fulfilled in our day every single day. The evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. It's getting worse. And what he told Timothy is the hope that I hang on to. And it's why I do what I do. It's why my wife does what she does and why we're in the ministry today. Because he said to Timothy, you want to know the solution? It's getting worse. It's, it's not good out there. It's getting worse. Uh, I live on the edge of Buffalo, 70,000 young people in Buffalo. I think 200 and something like 250,000 teenagers in Erie County and Buffalo and Niagara Falls. It's, it's getting worse. And Paul said to Timothy, but continue thou in the things thou hast heard and been assured of. Timothy had a very godly mother and a very godly grandmother that brought him up in the word. That is why it's so important that Alfred Allman Bible Church continues to teach students and children the word of God that is so full of these great and precious promises. Continue in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise <clears throat> unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, you know how the rest of the verse goes, is given <clears throat> by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy three eleven to 17 God is so incredibly good to us. Great and precious promises. He is always with me. One of the greatest enemies we have is fear. We even sang about it this morning. We fear all kinds of things. The future, our economy, our country, social security, is it going to be around? Um, how are we going to buy our next car? How are we going to keep our home? If you're a student or a child today, whether your parents are going to stay together, will my husband or my son come home from Afghanistan? We, we fear a lot. I was looking up some of the fears, uh, the fear of numbers, uh, numerophobia, I wasn't quite sure, you know, I thought about that. Some of them make sense to me, like acrophobia, fear of thunder and of lightning. I mean, some of you are afraid of, of uh, lightning, aren't you? Uh, the fear of spiders, arachnophobia. Um, I don't like spiders. I really don't. Uh, now, I think, I, can, I think I'm bigger than them, and I think I can beat most of them up, but I still don't like spiders. Uh, claustrophobia. Um, I have a, a daughter... She just got married uh, this summer, and she won't use our upstairs shower. And, and I mean, she showers, trust me. <laughs> but uh, one day, I, you know, I, I built a beautiful bathroom upstairs and a very nice shower. And one day, she still goes down and, and would use what we had. As, and then our first floor is a round tub with a curtain that hangs from this metal work around. You know, you see it on some really old movies. And um, I... I did that uh, when we first bought the house because the house didn't have a shower. And I kept thinking, well, the contraption is going to fall down someday. And then I'll have to put a shower in. Well, it never did. All of our kids used it, and it survived all of them. I, this thing was like I wanted it to fall down. 
And so I finally put a shower in upstairs, and my daughter keeps going downstairs to use this shower. I know somebody's going to get killed in it someday because the, the tub has got this rounded. By the way, we just replaced it recently now that all the kids are out of the house. But she, I said to her one day, I said, Christy, why don't you use the, the shower stall upstairs? Because it has glass. It's all glass in place, in case, a door that closes. And one day she said to me, she said, I don't like it. I'm like, what do you mean you don't like my shower that I built? I, I said, are you kidding me? And she says, I just feel claustrophobia and are uh, claustrophobic. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, she says, I don't like going in there and closing the door. Well, I'm thinking, well, you don't have to, but you probably should because water's <laughs> going to go all over the place. And, and finally, and so I said, so you use the tub downstairs with that curtain that, you know, you turn the shower on and it kind of like... <laughs> Like, and she goes, yeah, because that's not, that's flexible, that moves. <laughs> okay, um, some things you don't try to understand, you just, you just need to know them, okay? But, uh, so I understand that one, um, but numerophobia, the fear of numbers, what are you, afraid they're going to come at you or, or what? I don't, that one I don't quite get, but search the scriptures and you learn a lot about fear. Abraham was afraid of some things. You remember Hagar being afraid? How about Moses? There were some things that Moses was afraid of. In fact, one of the few things that Moses did wrong is when he lied about his wife. I think of the Israelites. I think of Timothy. I, I think of David. David uh, had to flee for his life. And on some occasions he stated this. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 23, 4. God is always with me. He's always with me. Can you imagine having to run for your life from your own son that overtook the government? 1 Chronicles 28.20 says this, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord thy God, even my God, is with you. God is always with us. Ironically, David said that to Solomon. He will never leave you or forsake you. It may not always be wrong to doubt, but it is wrong to fear. I hired a man, Pastor John, to come and cut some trees off of one of my properties. There were trees and I have a chainsaw and I can do some of that but these were very tall trees and they were near the building and so I knew it was bigger than me and and so I hired a man to come and I was explaining to him when he got there what trees I wanted down because of the, they were so big and and I said you know I'm just afraid that uh, somebody's going to get hurt or it's going to cause some damage and I'll never forget this man turned to me and he said well I just want you to know you can't live in fear here was an unsaved man, and I'm standing there going, boy, did I just get rebuked, you know? And I, and, and I thought, and I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that tall guy standing next to me, scruffy looking, and he turned to me that day and said, you can't live in fear. And, and I walked away. I thought, God, you sent that man, didn't you? Because he's absolutely right. There are times when we doubt, but, but you cannot live in fear. Fear is the complete state of anti-God. It's the contradiction of faith. Fear doesn't give God credit at all. It has no place in a Christian's life. I claimed a verse when my dad passed away and it's carried me through all these years. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7. I claim that verse, and I use that verse. Sometimes when I get in front of uh, 1,300 teenagers on a Super Bowl night, that's the verse I claim. <laughs> that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God is always with us. Aren't you glad for that? He's always with us. We know that because he's omnipresent. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Another passage in Psalms, and I meant to look it up, but we don't have time to camp there anyway, but there's another passage in Psalms that talks about God goes before us, he goes with us, and he comes behind us. I, I like that. He's, he's always with us. He's, he's never gone. He never departs. 
promise number one. We need to move. How about promise number two? Not only God is always with us, God is always in control. He's always in control. Now, we we could get into a theological debate because I know that God has uh, given this world presently over to Satan to do as he pleases, although I guess I should remind all of us that even though that's true, and even though he's the prince of the power of the air for a time, he still has to get permission from God to do what he does. There is nothing that he can do to me without God's permission without God giving him access or permission to to tempt or to do whatever. And so I still believe with all my heart that God is always in control. He's always in control. It can keep a church from victory and blessing to doubt that. It can keep you from a vibrant and powerful life. Doubt is a lack of confidence that God will keep his promises. It's the opposite of faith as well. James 1, 6 says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. I remember when Jesus turned to Peter one day and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? That was when Peter was sinking and he had to reach up and take Jesus' hand because he had taken his eyes off of him and he started to slip into the water. We can walk by faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I wrote down here three simple things. Deliberately turn away from doubt. Turn away, turn away, turn away. Reminds me of one of the children's videos. Swim away, swim away, swim away. That's exactly right. Turn away. You are making a choice to say no to doubt and unbelief. Number two, you can't trust in the Lord with all your heart if you're toying with sin or you're struggling with self-sufficiency. And then number three, I am going to begin changing my ways by putting him first, acknowledging him every step, every choice. I'm going to recognize him. Instead of my first reaction, which is to try to resolve things myself, putting trust into action. Do you really believe that God is sovereign? If he is, he doesn't need me to interfere. He's always with us, and he's always in control. Always. He's never put in a spot. He's never stressed out. I've been stressed out a few times this week. Uh, We've been on the road a lot. I had one particular pastor got a little frustrated with me because I hadn't, and rightfully so, because I haven't got back to him. And I thought, I I don't like doing that. I I just, life is getting so busy. And uh, between Sunday and today, I have read 1,500 emails because I'd gotten so far behind. 1500, I kid you not, in fact, it probably was closer to 1600. It was 1560 when I started, and that doesn't count the email I got new this week, so I know it was over 1500. And my brain is a little bit fried because of that, and so I've been stressed a little bit this week. God is never stressed out. He never has to put his feet up and, and take a breath. He he never has to go to sleep and get rejuvenated. Uh, I just, I can't even imagine that. Some nights I'm so tired when I go to bed. And I'm just the point of exhaustion. And so I, I just laugh when I think of this. I just love it. God is always in control. He's never put on the spot. He's never at the end of his rope. He's never at the end of the road. He just has so much power, so much strength. He's always in control. There's never a time he's not in control. He has a handle on everything. That's just reassuring to hear that. For a few minutes of my life, I get a handle on some things and I lose control over others. Uh, Or I get a handle on that and then then there's something new comes into my life I have to deal with. I just love it. He's always in control. He's always... So wonderful. Sometimes I just need to sit down from time to time and and just let God be God. 
because I am not, and I don't usually get that behind. God is not pacing back and forth. He's working his plan always, always. Remember what was said about Joseph when everything seemed to go all wrong. He said, God said that um, God meant it for good while others meant it for evil. When I read about Joseph's life, you know, and I, I think of, you know, even after his brother sold him out and... That he interp- remember when he interpreted the dreams and it seemed like maybe this was his chance if they would go back and mention remember the butler and all of that and if they would mention him that may, you know but they forgot him <laughs> do you think God forgot him no it's all part of the story God knew what he was doing God meant good God never forgot Joseph I think of Jonah when Jonah was running you know what there's one little phrase in the Bible where it says God prepared a great fish for Jonah. And probably at the time Jonah wondered, thanks God, you know, this is this doesn't seem much better, but it was. It was in reality when you think about it. He was still alive. God prepared a great fish for Jonah. One of my favorite verses, because I love this promise, God is always in control, is Ephesians three twenty. I probably sign more letters with Ephesians three twenty than anything else. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. He's a powerful God. He's always in control, always. Here's a third promise. Not only uh, is God always with me, not only is he always in control, but hang on to this one. He is always good. He is always good. Everything he does is for my good. Don't don't let adversity shake you from that one. Don't, Don't let a crisis move you off that rock. Sometimes people will say to us, well, look what just happened. Is that, does that, doesn't that prove that God isn't good? And I say, I'm here to submit to you. No, it doesn't prove that at all. I'm surprised God lets any of us live. I'm amazed that God lets me still be here. Uh, I can't believe God's goodness sometimes. He is so patient and he is so kind. If, if, if you can think of it this way, if, if I was God for a day, there, there might be, a, most of you I, I really love, so I don't think it would change anything right here. <laughs> but if I was God for a day, I know there's some people on my street that would be gone. <laughs> I, I know that there are some um, people I've talked to on the phone that would be gone. I know there's some people at Kmart that would be gone. <laughs> uh, I remember some that pushed me out of line one day. Got put, literally, I, I don't want to, I'm going to get bitter if I go there, so I better not. But I know there are people in this world that would be gone in a heartbeat. Uh, I wouldn't have waited so long to clean up things in the Middle East. I mean, there would be the world's population, I'm, I promise you, would be cut in half if I were God for a day. I am so glad I'm not. God, God is always good. Now, he is just, and there is an end to all the evil and all the wrong and all the wicked. Uh, He will put a stop to it someday. Uh, There is an appointed time. Uh, Right now, people scoff at us, and they say, oh, you know, you say that the Son of God is going to come again. Where is he? Trust me, a day is coming when all evil will be righted. God is just. Enoch talked about it. And Enoch was a righteous man. And so a day is coming. But God is always good. He is so patient. He is so kind. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I kidded about it, but I'm so glad my neighbors are all still my neighbors because I know some of them really need Christ and, and I want them to, to be saved. God is always good. Romans 8.28 says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. 
And no matter what you're going through, God is always good. It's a promise. There are moments in my life I wish I could replay. I, I would be pretending if I told you I was the knight in shining armor, a, a diplomat in every situation, the Nobel Peace Prize winner in my home or my, on my street. Uh, I wish in every conflict I knew exactly how to resolve it. I have thought about some of the mistakes I've made in my life that I wished I hadn't made. But I can tell you this, that God hasn't made any. He is always good. Everything he does is right. And I'm glad for that, aren't you? He will never have to say, Rod, would you forgive me because I've made a mistake in your life? (laughs) Never. I've had to say that to him a few times, like about once a week. Uh, God will never have to ask me to forgive him. He has never done anything wrong. He is so good. Um, in Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen, David said, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You realize what David, David was saying, I I would have despaired. I would have given up. I would have just thrown it all away if I hadn't believed and seen the goodness of God. I love Psalm chapter 40, where it says, uh, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and measured out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? By the way, who's directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor has taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and and showed him the way of understanding? It's kind of, it's almost some sarcasm. I love it. Behold, the nations are a drop of a bucket, and are counted as a small dust of the balance. You you probably saw about Gaddafi and how his life came to an end. I thought about this passage. The nations are nothing but a drop in the bucket to God. And we worry sometimes about dictators and ruthless people. And by the way, there's always someone to replace them. But they're nothing compared to God. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing. As if that's not bad enough. He says they're less than nothing. I don't know how anything can be less than nothing. But that shows you how little they are. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare him? The workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. I don't know if you know what that passage is talking about, but the person that, that doesn't have enough money goes out and gets a, an object of wood, and he gets a craftsman who can shape that and make an idol. The one who has money just makes it out of gold or silver. And But no matter how valuable that object is, then they cast silver chains, they have to lock it down. Because in fact, if it is valuable, the more apt somebody will steal it. And what kind of a God is a God who can't even protect itself? That it has to be locked down. Or a craftsman has to make it so carefully that it's level so that any vibration would knock the God over. Uh, There's there's such, God is so humorous here. Lift up your eyes on high in in Isaiah 40, 26. And behold, who hath created these things, it bringeth out their host by number, talking about the stars. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he is strong in power, not one fail. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over. God is always with us, and he's always good. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator, the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that, are, that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. 
sometimes we know as we get older that we lose some of our strength and we lose some of our quickness. And so we, we look to the younger football players or the younger, you know, the, the ones that we recruit to, to, build, to, you know, boost up our team a little bit. And Isaiah says even they are going to fail. That, that's not the answer here. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. No matter what you're going through this week, God is always good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jeremiah 29, 11, as we wrap up this third point, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. What are you going through right now? Uh, have you forgotten that God is always good? He's always with me. He's always in control. Those are promises that I need. He's always good. And then the last one this morning, and then we'll quit. God is always watching. He is always watching. 1 Corinthians 10.13 means a lot to me. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Have you ever been amazed at how little things, small problems, small things, little foxes can cause you to completely fall apart? It's, it's not often the big things. It's the little things that build up. We don't get a handle on them, and they, they, they mess us up. God will bring you through hard times. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows. He's always watching. Go way back in time to a band of young men who faced an angry king. The passage is Daniel chapter 3. They refused these three men to bow down before the king and worship any other god. Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, he was embarrassed. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he cast them into a burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flames of the fire slew the men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them in. And you know the story. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. He's always with us. He's always watching. You know what amazes me most about that story in the Old Testament? Do you know that the only thing that was burnt was the ropes that bound them? The only thing that was burnt was what tied them down. I don't know what you might be going through, but I know I can assure you this, that God sees every detail of your life. He's not missing a single thing. Oh, we do as people. Sometimes we don't know what you're going through. We should, or I should say, we should know more. But sometimes we just don't pay attention. But God never misses it. He knows all about you. We often work with children who have been misused, sometimes abused. I wonder how much we care. 
I wonder if we're willing to assure, assure these kids that God is watching and he cares. He cares very, very much, more than you can imagine. We sometimes deal with students who are still kicking the tires on this whole God thing. We get impatient with them. We hear the stories, but they need to test God's word for themselves. Are you going to be there to assure them that God is real? He's always good. He's always powerful. He's always watching. Proverbs 5.21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth at his goings. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Sometimes we think that nobody's going through what I'm going through. What a mistake. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You're not alone. God is faithful who will suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. He's always watching and he always cares. We need to wrap it up. Four promises. God is always with me. He's always with me. He's always in control. Never for a nanosecond has God relinquished his control. He's always good. And he's always watching. God does make a way of escape. Are you looking for it? And are you interested? It's there. Do we want it bad enough? This, this year has been an incredibly challenging one for us. I am as sure today is the day that we took that first step into ministry that we are exactly where God wants us. We are exactly what he wants. We are doing exactly what he wants us to do. But this, this has been probably the hardest year. That we have faced. Now I say that, please don't miss the fact, I know that this is what God wants us to do. The reason why I've spoken on these promises is because I believe them. And I'm going to hang on to God is incredibly good this year we uh, we married our third daughter that was just an incredible incredible day she married a youth pastor there in Texas and they're just they're just doing incredible things for God we are so thrilled uh, she wrote back to Jamie just, um, well, the wedding was this summer, July, was it 16th? Am I right? Um, an awesome day. She wrote back and she said, Mom and Dad says maybe some things went wrong. She says, I don't know. She said, as far as I'm concerned, it was a perfect day. Uh, as a parent, that does your heart really good. That's, that's fun to read those kind of comments. And Ben is in Charlotte, and he's doing really good. He's married to a wonderful gal. They're in a really good church, and they're just doing wonderful. He, he calls us every um, week, excuse me, he texts us every almost day or a couple of days. Um, once in a while, he calls us, but kids just love to text. And um, so we've learned to text, and uh, he's, he's doing really well. Our second child is not doing so good. And she's in Rochester, uh, married a couple of years ago, and she's really struggling. I wish you would pray for her. Um, I, could, I could probably take all the adversity that we've ever faced um, I've been saved for 40 years plus. Uh, in the ministry for 27. And I could take all the crisis, and believe me, we, we face some dillies. And put them all together. I don't think they'd compare. 
to having a, a son or a daughter make mistakes and struggle. And we're, we're walking through that, a new chapter in our lives. Um, we're not used to this. Um, our kids, uh, the years that they were home were amazing. My wife would tell you that uh, they uh, were normal kids. We disciplined them. We were disciplinarians. We, we had them in restaurants, had to take them out. We have had to spank them. We've done all of it. But our kids were amazing at home. Um, so submissive, so compliant um, that I, I would thank God for them every week, uh, if not every day. So to, to have a daughter that's, she's left her husband, and she's, um, I, I can say this here because we're a long way from Rochester, but she is now living with another man, and we're struggling. Um, we we talk with her once in a while. Uh, we don't have a lot of communication, but I'm not ashamed to tell you we're we're struggling. Uh, this has been tough, the toughest thing I've ever faced. Uh, I've met, in fact, I had shared with Chris and Karen and and uh, some of the missions committee to please pray. I know that's the answer. Uh, this is not too big for God. It's bigger than me. Uh, but it's not too big for God. And I now understand the scriptures a little better where it talks about the grief that a parent goes through with a wayward son or daughter. It's it's tough. Um, but I'll close with this. God is always with me. He's always in control. I don't understand this right now. But he's always in control. Folks, he's always good. Somehow we need this trial. I I don't know quite yet how. But he's always good. He's always good. I'll believe that till the day I die, and then I'll be assured. And he's always watching. He doesn't miss a thing. Every Christian will face adversity. Missionaries do on the mission field. Not every day is easy. Um, But not every day is easy for you either. You face it. You you face trials. You go through hard things. If this is a time in your life when you're rebelling, I plead with you to get right with God. Because he will reckon everything in the end. But he's always with me. He's always in control. He's always good, and he's always watching. And you can take that to the bank. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. You have never made a mistake. You are so right. You're always good. And our faith will not be shaken. We love you. We trust you. We have sung songs that we've been from our heart this morning. We, we just praise you. You are an almighty God. And you have never done anything wrong. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.